Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family, and thank you for joining us in our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Matthew. And this episode is our very last episode. Thanks to all of you who have stayed with me as we've gone through the Gospel of Matthew and looking at themes particularly relevant to our family life, to parenting, to marriage. And there's one last episode, this episode, that I wanted to include, not because it's just an afterthought, but because it's a major thought. Before Jesus left to ascend to heaven to the right hand of God the Father, he gave a great commission, and that's recorded for us in the last few verses of the gospel, Matthew 28, and I'm going to read those to you right now. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the close of the age. This is a commission that includes everyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ. And as, as I mentioned in our previous episode, in the Great Commission in verse 19 is the main verb of these three verses where it says, make disciples. Going means we're we're in action. We're doing something with our faith. We just don't receive it. We do something with it. We go someplace with it. But to make disciples is the command. It's, a, it's an imperative verb, which means it's a command by the Son of God claiming all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, how does this relate to family life? Well, here it is. I mentioned in our last episode that it's extremely difficult for disciples to make disciples in a traditional youth group. Why is that? Well, the groups are kind of a, a, a wide spectrum of young people. Parents drop off and say, this is something you're going to go to, or they may want to go there. And it's good. Such groups are good for socializing, fellowship, fun, some inspiration, but it's generally not a setting where discipleship takes place. Discipleship means you're actually changing your whole mode of life into a likeness of Jesus Christ himself. This is a difficult process, but it's a process in the 21st century that you definitely want your children to become disciples. Uh, simply attending a youth group, the probability will be about 60 plus percent washout, and that includes your children. And so you have to do something differently than simply drop them off at the parish for a youth group. Now, I advocated a second youth group or an existing youth group and have a second meeting for those who want to study a little bit harder than what you might study in a traditional youth group. It tends to be rather light topics in most youth groups. Uh, it might mean a little bit more service. Uh, might be signing up that 
simply you will be there, you will attend, you will participate. And so you would have a second meeting on an alternative night of the week. But in reality, most parishes, not all, but most, are not going to offer something like this anytime soon. So the question remains, you have children. You can't wait uh, 20 years for this to happen. Your kids are growing up right now. So how's it going to get done? It's very simple. It's one word. Parents. Parents become the disciplers of your children. And take the great commission of Jesus where he says, make disciples of all nations. Well, your job isn't to travel internationally as much as it is to make disciples of those whom God has placed in your life. So the who of disciple makers are parents. And I need to add, especially fathers. Because a lot of times it's come to the place in our culture, it always hasn't been this way, but it has been the last 150 years, at least in the United States, when somebody hears, oh, religious instruction of children, and, you know, some guy thinks, wow, my wife better really get on the ball and get doing that. Well, wives certainly do participate in that. Mothers have a responsibility for that. But if there's uh, any um, unequal responsibility, it would tip towards fathers. And I'm just going to give you a, a kind of a, a subtle indication of this in St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In the last part of his little six-chapter letter, he basically has three chapters of doctrine, and then he has three chapters of how the doctrine of the Christian faith applies practically. And when he gets to the end of chapter 5 and chapter 6, he's talking about marriages and relations between husbands and wives, and then the relationship with children to their parents and responsibility of parents with their children. So it's, it's, it's a family-oriented exhortation at the end of the letter to the Ephesians. But when it comes to discipling children, it's very interesting. St. Paul doesn't say, fathers and mothers. He just goes, fathers. He says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. In other words, you know, you don't want to be too strict, too controlling, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers are singled out. Maybe St. Paul knew, like it took me a about 100,000 miles flying around North America to figure out that mothers are pretty good at getting into gear for this, but fathers tend to need a very direct exhortation that this is part of their responsibility. Now, uh, St. Paul's apostolic ministry was, in a, so to speak, modeled the apostle very similar to what a father would be in a family. In fact, so much so, he wrote to the Corinthians. This is in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4. He said, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Jesus Christ through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. And that last phrase, be imitators of me, is extremely important when it comes to discipleship. 
I have two formulas that every parent who wants to disciple their children needs to really pay attention to, and especially the dads. And why do I say that is because uh, ever since the Industrial Revolution, uh, work life has really pulled fathers away from family life. And so your fatherhood discipleship efforts have to be intentional. You just can't let it happen because in today's world, it will not happen. You have to have an intent for it. So anyhow, here's, here's my formula number one. The strength of relationship between the disciple maker and the disciple has the strength equals the strength of the faith conveyed. Again, the strength of relationship equals the strength of faith conveyed. Now, this is what I said earlier, simply dropping your kids off for pizza, Pepsi, and a little inspiration at the parish. Honestly, uh, I would not recommend you depend on that for your child's eternal welfare. They're actually going to have to become like Christ. That's what a Christian is, and they're going to have to be discipled to be like Christ. And for someone who doesn't know anything about them, really, uh, to speak of, uh, might know their name, don't know what their favorite ice cream is or their temperament <laughs> or their interest in life. So if you're going to convey the faith this is one of the things I found as a youth minister, and I've been involved in Christian education with every age from about five years old through college, and that if you can do certain things with the people you're teaching, apart from a classroom, you, you engage in certain things, and particularly camping and retreats and all that type of thing are very effective in building the strength of a relationship, then you'll see the strength of the faith is equal to the strength of the relationship. Now, you might not have a PhD in theology like Scott Hahn, but if you're a father or a mother, you literally share the DNA with your child, and you live with your child. Hopefully, you'll eat with your child and pray with your child and attend mass with your child you will have a very strong relationship unlike anyone else on this planet. And that means that you just do a very modest, uh, you don't have to turn your home into a seminary or anything like that, just a very modest sharing of the faith because of the strength of your relationship, it's going to have a tremendous lifelong impact. And this is how you can make a disciple. Now, I want to talk particularly, this is the second formula I'm going to give you, and it's particularly with dads. I kind of gave you a heads up of why this is coming. Dads in the modern world, since the Industrial Revolution, have been separated from their families through their work life. Work life and family life are two different spheres now. It used to be generally one when you lived on a farm or worked in a village cottage industry, that type of thing. But here's, a, here's the formula. The quantity of time you spend with your children equals the quality of discipleship you will accomplish with your children. Now, if you want, you can read a lot of phony baloney articles on the internet and publications will say, 
it's okay if you don't spend adequate amounts of time with your kids. It's just important, the real quality of time. Now, time is a quantitative measurement. And when it comes to disciple, discipleship, it's quantity of time. You need quantity of times to do quality discipleship. Yes, you want to have quality time, but don't let that become a substitute for quality. Why is that? Well, what did St. Paul said? Uh, I have become your father in Christ through the gospel. He said then, I urge you then become imitators of me. Well, a huge chunk of how you convey the life of Christ to your children isn't through sitting them down in a chair and then preaching at them. It's you becoming the kind of person you want your child to be. It'd be so much easier if you just told your kids what to do and didn't make any difference how you live, but that's not how it works. And St. Paul was an example to the Corinthians. These were people who were living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Corinth, Greece was a hellhole regarding morals, but how did the early church find our way out of that? It was through the power of imitation, which is the essence of discipleship. So you're going to have to be with your child so they can observe your reactions, your way of life, how you speak, how you act, what you watch, what your priorities are. They'll pick up on this type of thing. Do you really think something's going on during a Catholic Mass? Do you really believe in something called the real presence of Jesus Christ? Well, your kids, before they can probably articulate anything about the real presence, will know something is going on, or will they all assume nothing is going on just by your deportment, how you genuflect, how you pray. They'll, they'll observe you. They'll figure it all out. And probably by the time they enter grade school, they'll have conceptions of this from you. So believe me, the power of imitation is always at work while your children are awake, okay? When they're awake, they're observing you, and the power of imitation is at work. And what you want to do is make sure you have plenty of opportunities for your children to see you, to imitate you. And this has to be done long before the teen years. Now, here's the deal. When you're a new dad or mom, and it's very easy to say, well, I'll, I'll take care of my kids' discipleship when? You know, hey, I'm starting a new family, I'm starting a new job, new career, new profession. I got to work hard, and you should work hard, because St. Paul worked very hard in front of the churches. He used to make tents and preach at night and the weekends and everything. He worked hard, but the point being, you have to do it while your children are young. You can't wait until they're teens to begin discipleship without a miracle, and sometimes miracles happen, but it's the idea is to start early. You want to get a jump on this, and you can't say, well, I'll do it when, you know, when I finish my degree, or when I uh, get my promotion, or when I get so much money, or when I pay off this loan, or whatever. Um, no, you have to start early, very early, I'll share with you two of my favorite stories, and I won't tell you which of my children they apply to, but one of my sons used to observe that I had such a thing as called money, 
and he noticed that I would put my money, my wallet, in the back pocket of my pants. Well, before he had pants with back pockets, he was in diapers. And so he would go around the house, and if he found loose change, he put it in his diaper. And when my wife was changing diapers, it just gave new meaning to the phrase filthy lucre because we were wondering, why is this loose change ending up in my son's diaper? Wow, he was just imitating me. I didn't tell him to do that. Certainly didn't. I probably told him not to do that. But they're watching. They're observing. They're imitating. This is a natural process, and God's with you in this. Okay. Here's another one. Uh, I used to spit shine my shoes when I was a young dad. Uh, reason being, my parents sent me off to a military school hoping that uh, it would kind of straighten me out, and it didn't have a very good effect other than I picked up the habit of spit shining my shoes. So a lot of times on Saturday night, we would have the Wood Shoe Shine Club come in, and I would want to shine my shoes. Well, without doing anything or saying anything, all the kids came and wanted to shine their shoes too. Okay. So they noticed that I was spit shining. And when I went to military school, we actually spit shined our shoes. We didn't use the nice polite way of putting a little water in the top lid of Kiwi shoe polish, but we would spit shine. So I was spit shining, had no idea that my kids were watching me. Okay. So I left the room and came back, and one of my daughters was imitating me, but she thought she'd take it a step further because not only was she spit-shining her shoe, she decided to lick-shine her shoe. And she was licking her shoes thinking like, well, if dad does this, this is just, this is how it's done, you know. You have the ability to influence your children, but you have to be there. You have to do things with them, uh, and the more you can do, the more they'll pick up, and you have the obligation to make your life like Christ and be with your children. I'm talking about this isn't rocket science, but it does take intention. You just can't let it happen. I know when I started St. Joseph Covenant Keepers for Catholic Fathers, and I was going everywhere for these fatherhood conferences— with a reasonable demand. By the way, I didn't do international conferences because they were a week long and I had kids in the home and I decided that my first responsibility was for my own children. But in any case, I was getting a haircut and this woman asked me, what do you do for a living? And I thought for a moment, how do I describe what I'm doing? And I said, uh, well, I fly all over North America uh, urging fathers to have dinner with their families. <laughs> and she thought about that for a minute and then we talked about it. Um, I can remember a couple of builders that were at a conference I gave, and they were good guys, faithful Catholics, worked hard. Uh, they were in construction business, and uh, at least during the week, they weren't home for dinner with their families. And uh, I said, you know, that's one of the biggies. I mean, it's not like you something come up at work and you have to be late. That happens. But this isn't like a weekly regular routine where you're not with the family for dinner. Um, and to them, it was just like a total revolution. Why? Because this is when you share common life as a family. And so if at all possible, 
You try to get the family together for dinner. This is one of the ways you do discipleship. And so, again, if you're a guy, uh, and almost I wish I could give conferences like this to young men even before they go off to college. Why is that? Because you're going to have to think through what type of jobs you're going to take, what kind of professions will allow you to earn the money you need to earn, support your family. And that's huge because working hard is one of the ways you show your children of how you live your life. That's discipleship, but also how you can be with them. And I know my own life, um, I've cut off consideration for certain avenues because it wouldn't allow for the discipleship of my children. And by discipleship, again, I'm not talking about preaching to my children, okay? I'm talking about just living life with them. It wouldn't allow that. And so you want to think this through. What job, what profession will give me the ability to be home with my kids for dinner? Um, What kind of job and where are we going to live if it's an hour commute and you have to work till 6 30 7 o'clock and have an hour commute you can get home maybe for a 10 minute story and say prayers with your kids and put them to bed that's not discipleship they are going to be discipled by the modern culture and you do not want that in today's world so uh, also uh, you really 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 want to start early really want to start early I would say having a goal that your, what shall I say, your your boot camp and your your early training for discipleship you want done before your kids uh, hit the teen years. And why is that? Well, my experience and experience of a lot of other parents is that once your kids hit the teen years, your IQ probably, in their estimation, drops about 50%. You think I'm kidding? You have preschool children? All I can say is just wait, you know, just wait. Um, If you have advice for choosing a marriage partner, you better do it before the teen years because after that, they're thinking, you know, what wisdom do they have? You know, they're too old to have wisdom and such like that. I heard this one because you can – have some hope that it comes back. It was talking about the boy of 14 said, my father was so ignorant when I was 14, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to 21, I was astonished how much the old man had learned in seven years. So start early before a lot of other chatter comes at them. Okay. Uh, I wrote a book entitled Legacy subtitled The Father's Handbook for Raising Godly Children. And in chapter four is a whole chapter devoted to the power of imitation. And then the next chapter, I forgot exactly how I titled that chapter. I know what it's about, Morals and Media, or Media and Morals. You see, if you don't get a lid on the media, then the media will disciple your children. Did you hear what I said? And it's all about time and exposure. You have to be very, very careful because in today's world, early access to social media 
will socialize and disciple your kids. Early access to the internet, ditto. Early access to other media, uh, it will influence your kids' entire outlook on moral life, on the faith life, what's priority in life, what's acceptable in life. Now, I was just thinking this morning when I was getting ready for this, you know, back in the day before I met Christ, I was a big rock and roller. I saw Jimi Hendrix and probably the wildest woman I've ever encountered in my entire life. And I was in the front row for her concert was Janis Joplin. But and of course, she killed herself with booze and heroin. But Janis Joplin wore clothes. In the wildest rock concert that I went to, the women wore clothes. And today they don't. They, I don't know what you call it, but they don't wear a whole lot of clothes. And this is totally acceptable. Do you really think it is when the Bible talks about this type of modesty and such like this? So I would be very cautious about exposing your kids to our secular culture to become socialized, become disciples of it. Um, basically, uh, delay access to this stuff as much as you can, and don't be an ogre about it. Have some great outdoor adventures and thrill-seeking, uh, adrenaline-producing activities, but watch the media because the media goes right along with the imitation. They'll either imitate the media or imitate you, and if, you, if you're gone all day— only have a little bit of time in the evening and the weekends, and they're all week with peers, and then they're on social media after they're done with school and other forms of media, they will imitate that. So I would recommend two things that we use in our home. One was uh, the plugged-in media reviews by Focus on the Family. And I know Friday night I would be asked, can we watch this or that video or streaming thing? And I would say, well, I, I'm going to go to Plugged In and read the reviews of that. And uh, they've done a fantastic job, not about the highbrow, is this good acting, character development, all that stuff. I just want to know, I don't want to expose my kids to filth because I don't want my kids to be discipled by filth. It's that simple. So you keep it out of your home. And then the other thing right along with that is clear play. And ClearPlay now is on Amazon, very easy to use, and they filter profanity and sex scenes out of otherwise halfway decent movies. And you can just go to amazon.clearplay.com and get the bad stuff away. You don't want the bad discipleship and keep yourself front and center of your kids, and they'll grow up to love the Lord Jesus Christ and be with you for all eternity. Thanks for joining me for the Family Bible Studies in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm Steve Wood. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.